Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, are you all prepared for the holidays at this point? I know that you were <laughs> slacking earlier saying that you're having a, a meltdown on sh- on shopping. Oh, no, no. We weren't having a meltdown. No, there was just a last minute little like hitch in the plan where now we're going to have to go out to the mall on like on the, oh, the day. The, yeah, exactly. But Oof. Uh, yeah, there was a last minute decision to uh, to do a, like a white elephant gift exchange that we're ill prepared mm-hmm. for. So now we have to run out and get something. Okay. Not a big deal. I'll just take it. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like have going fun, have shopping that, this time yeah. of year in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the day before Christmas. That's wonderful. Um, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's give the <clears throat> listeners a, a heads up on today's episode. So on this episode, you know, it's a little bit of like a mini series that we're calling like first time founders. Uh, and within this episode, we're going to be talking with first-time startup founders uh, who have previously worked for, you know, both big tech companies and startups as, you know, as an employee, but now they are currently founders of their own startup. And, uh, you know, on this episode, we want to, you know, get some insight into what their journey has looked like, um, some some lessons learned, some tips, and I'm sure some, some helpful info for those uh, of our listeners that are entrepreneurial uh, and are thinking about taking that leap and starting up their own company. So, We've got two awesome guests joining us today, both of which have worked in in these large environments like Airbnb and Google, and then obviously our favorites, you know, small startup environments. So I'm confident they will bring some very insightful perspective to the discussion. Uh, Colby and Chris, thank you for spending time with us on the Pair Program. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us on. Uh, thanks for having us. Awesome. Looking forward to it. So before we dive in, uh, we do like to kick things off with a fun segment called Pair Me Up. Um, here's where we will go around the room. We'll shout out a, a complimentary pairing. Mike, you always lead us off. Go ahead and do so. So, uh, as you know, I was slacking this morning, uh, saying, uh, Ooh, I totally forgot. Don't have a pairing. Uh, so my pairing <laughs> is actually procrastination and deadlines, uh, which, uh, for those there's, there's, in my opinion, there's like two types of people. There's people who need deadlines to know when to start work and deadlines to know when to sort of wrap things up. There's people who will mm-hmm. keep on working on something and working on something and they need that deadline to know when to end it. For me, I need that deadline to know like, oh, crap, I need to get started on that. It's going to take me a couple hours or whatever. And so procrastination and deadlines uh, is basically my MO. <laughs> it um, doesn't give me a feel good about my co-host of the podcast. <laughs> sorry. What sorry, are we talking about? Deadline helps you. Yeah. Deadline sorry, helps you with the procrastinations. What was that? The deadline helps you with the procrastination or, it, or, it, or prevents you from it? It helps me know when to stop procrastinating and actually yeah, get, right. to, get to get to doing things. <laughs> There's like college all over again. <laughs> Pretty much. That's uh, what yeah. Yep. <laughs> maybe this conversation can help you out, Mike. Um, we'll we'll see we'll see what comes of it. But uh, cool. I'll I'll uh I'll be the food pairing. We usually always have at least one. Um, you know. So given the fact that we are recording right around the the Christmas holiday, um, uh, I'm gonna give a little shout out old old saint nick here and throw it out with the ice cold glass of milk and warm chocolate chip cookies as my pairing um for me anyways christmas cookies are not really complete without like that classic chocolate chip cookie um so and it doesn't need to be too fancy i'm just like original nestle toll house cookie dough and uh you know pull them out the oven pour that glass of milk boom that's that's the that's the classic holiday pairing for me so are we going lactose free? Are we doing oat milk? I'm uh, going no. straight two percent. I'm going two percent. <laughs> oh man, yeah, going to the wall. I'm I'm gonna pay the price later for it, but um, you know, I'm gonna treat I'm gonna treat myself uh, just one once a year. <laughs> um, oh, let's man. pass it along, uh, Colby. How about a, a quick intro from you and tell us uh, your pairing? Yeah, yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Colby Harvey. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Rise. Um, when it comes to my pairing, I just, like I told you guys earlier, just did like a 14-hour drive between Austin and Arizona. So I'm going to say um, road trips and podcasts. Nice. What kept me awake and it was what kept me going the entire time listening to new information. So it was fun. Good cool. stuff. 
aside from the the pair program uh being you know one of your favorite uh podcasts uh what uh what's what's another one you listen to what's one that you'd recommend out to to some of the listeners oh man putting me right on the spot there we go um <laughs> so um i like to listen to um purpose what's called um purpose lose called um uh, by oh excuse me on purpose by jay shetty that was okay. a really really great podcast cool um and then outside of that i've been i was listening to an audiobook too so it wasn't just podcasts so i listened to this really insane one about this guy with a huge drug app it was a whole thing honestly it felt like watching a movie but a book wow nice yeah we actually had an answer yeah that's yeah. on theme we had one uh we had a, a recording last week as, um as well and, and one of them brought up podcast and uh you, if you all listen to serial before like the uh yeah yeah so it's a pretty, yeah, pretty good as well that was back when like podcasts were just becoming a big thing too or, or just getting like a new around. trend right yeah, yeah. serial yeah, dude really like neat. this real-time investigative journalism that one yep yep, yep. that's right yep yeah cool um cool. well let's kick it over to uh to you chris how about uh an intro and your pairing yeah hey um so my name is chris Sue. i am a co-founder and cto of a company called primary.health um and yeah, my pairing. So I want to, I think I, all my time preparing for this was like spent on trying to figure out what the hell I was going to say for that. <laughs> this was like <laughs> caused me the amount of stress, you know, but um, I came up last night. I thought like, I was thinking like my, I think that the, where I excel the most, like where I'm happiest is like a Saturday, a Saturday morning, like an early Saturday morning and no plans for the weekend. Mm. Like, I feel like that's when. I'm like at my most creative. That's when I feel like I can do whatever I want. And I can like have the full two days of focused on just like getting something done. Mm. So I love that. That's, <laughs> that's my pairing. That's great. That is nice. Do you have to be like real intentional of making sure like you've got nothing slotted? Cause it seems like it's always, it's tough yeah, to even, like things pop up and you're just like, oh man, I had no plans, but now I got this thing I got to do. Well, that's not so hard. I don't, I don't have that. I don't have any plans <laughs> like baseline, but, um, even like I find even like a one hour thing in the middle of the day just like becomes such a big mental block, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that I have like the full 48 hours uh, completely free. That's that's really liberating. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, nothing like having a day off and then just like having like something you have to do at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, yeah, it's like just the, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And this is actually yeah. something that you know, might come up uh, on the discussion as well. But, you know, I, when I started my company, you know, weekends weren't really a thing um, and then got it to a point where, you know, you, you, you want to get back into like a consistent schedule. Like we, you, you acknowledge like the weekends, I'm not working, I'm not doing anything. But um, in, in certain parts of that entrepreneurial journey, it's like, yeah, weekends didn't really exist. So, you know, I cherish those, that time off when we get to a point where we can afford to take that time off. Right, right. Um, delegation <laughs> yeah <laughs> really helps if you can if you can um well cool let's let's dive into it um like i mentioned we're gonna we're gonna be talking about first time founders here um and as a as a means to kind of save some time i did want to start with with both of our guests kind of giving our listeners a little bit of context into how they got into this current seat as a founder um so i'll start with you colby um maybe shed a little bit more light uh on your journey uh up to your role as co-founder of rise and then we'll jump over to you, Chris, and then we will dive into some questions. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll kick it off here. So, you know, on my journey to rise, I'm like, it's kind of, it's interesting. I, you know, when you, when you start a company, um, most of the time you're starting a company because it has some type of impact or meaning to you. Like whatever the problem is, is kind of kind of close to home. You can see it. So um, me personally, um, I guess a little bit more about my background, like, you know, prior to starting rise, I used to work at Google, um, Google cloud, working on a billing platform, um, ensuring, and like kind of writing all of our billing procedures, um, and ensuring that it was implemented, uh, across all of my, um, uh, support teams, uh, as well as like handling much more larger, um, like billing modifications that need to happen for any like issues that came and like drove that all the way up to the, the technical um, level to resolve on like a, a on a code base base side but um man i used to man for me i'm like i used to work all through college so I'm like i had this kind of like hunger and drive just since i was young and i got to work at like Charles Schwab, america express you know some of these big companies while i was in university while kind of shoring up you know the idea for my 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 company i figured this is gonna be the right time to do this so you know i going back to 
myself when it comes to Rise, I, you know, my, I grew up in an aviation family um, in some capacity. So I've always had a passion for the industry itself. Um, and I always wanted to find a way to impact the industry without necessarily working directly for it. So I mean, really fast forward throughout my university career, I got to intern in a, at a, a aircraft repair station um, and really get, a, get to like create a hypothesis around a problem. Um, and in this case, it's um, dangerous and slow um, aircraft inspections um, that cost the industry, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars per year. Um, and that's just like operational, like operational and intrinsic expenses. Um, and then like lost revenue per mile. So I said, hey, there's a way, much better way to do this. Um, we have technology that's readily available, which in the aviation industry can be a little tough because they're a little slow to change. So like, luckily I came in, I feel like at the right time, at the right moment when the industry is like, hey, we need to figure out ways to save more money because they have very razor thin margins. So, you know, I, I came up with, with Rise and I built a team around the, the constant idea of, and got them all excited about, you know, this is going to change the industry. This is going to make sure that you and I are waiting in the, you know, in the airport, just kind of like kicking around with like some Cinnabon or whatever you can buy in the airport. And just like, wow, that's another maintenance delay. Like, here we go. <laughs> so I, I wanted to find a way to be impactful with the company that I was I built and uh, built something really, really freaking cool at the same time. I'm kind of okay that they're slow to change, by the way. Like, I don't need airplanes adopting bleeding edge technology. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> <Hear me out. laughs> what a bash his business idea, Mike. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm okay with the fact that they're slow to change, that they're very deliberate and intentional in how mm. they do it, not that they don't change at all, to be clear. Um, I think it's awesome that they, you know, as you, as you bring things in. You're giving a lot of credit. Oh, really? Okay. I, won't, I won't dive into that one too right. Maybe it's a whole different podcast. Maybe I have a totally misunderstanding <laughs> of how the aviation industry works, but we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Politics. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, just a couple of quick hits on, on Rise. So what's, you know, when did you start it? Uh, what year? And then um, do you have co-founders and did you take in funding and, and the, the, the head count size are you guys at? Yeah, yeah. So we started Rise, I guess, since our first set of funding, like you, like December 2018, call it January 2019. And we've been working on it ever since. I have two co-founders that I brought in. Honestly, they were uh, college uh, friends of mine in engineering. So you know, we kind of went on this journey together. I, I found it and created an idea and said, hey, would you guys come and you know, help me build this drone and help me build the software that's running aboard it? Um, and so we, we have we've been doing that since, you know, at our inception and we've raised to date, uh, nearly $7 million. Um, we just closed out our quote unquote series A, um, about uh, at the end of October. Cool. And, and I'm sorry if I missed it. How many, how many employees, uh, how many team members do you have? We have about, about nine employees right now. Nine of you. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're based in Austin, but does the team all physically there or are they distributed? Yeah, you know, the team is kind of somewhat distributed. We do have like my core hardware engineer and, and some software engineers that are based in Austin because, you know, we have an autonomous drone platform. So someone's got to be there to touch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so we do have some people over there so they can they can go through and like, you know, push any change in code and just kind of test in real time. So, but, you know, world of COVID made everything remote. So well, we got to kind of make do. Sure. And then my last question, then we'll jump to Chris is, um, you know, you studied at uh, ASU, Arizona State. Uh, what did you study? What was your, your focus? Yeah, so I initially studied computer science. So I did that for about two and a half years. So I got to Calc 3 and I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> um, and I, uh, yeah, no, that was, I realized that was not for me. I sat down in class. I heard the rest of the talk, felt the tear run down my face. I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so I... I ended up switching to um, aviation uh, aviation management, which luckily is still in the School of Engineering. So that was that was great. So I got to really like I got to be with the pilots. I got to even like train like a pilot, um, which was really really cool. And cool. then management side, nice. So it sounds like you know you you built something within an industry that was close to your family, passionate about, studied. So that that kind of all makes sense and adds up. Um, we'll, we'll ask some more questions here in a second on, on that journey, but then let's jump to you, Chris, and, and, and give, give us your five minute kind of overview on, on your, uh, trip to primary.health. Cool. Yeah. So I, um, let's see, I started, uh, I started at Facebook. I was there for about a year and I worked at Airbnb for about four years. And then, um, 
the whole time I was in like, well, I was a software engineer. Like I was kind of like, it's, I think the most standard path a software engineer has. Like I graduated from computer science um, in UBC. And then I went down to the Bay area to like start career there. Um, I've been writing code since I was like 16, I think. So that's always been like a big part of what, you know, uh, what I've done. Um, in 2020, uh, kind of at the, you know, when, when the COVID pandemic, you know, at the very peak of it, that's when we started our company, actually. Um, it was just, uh, it was, you know, the, the stuff that we were working on was just, um, especially needed at that time. Like we work, we do a lot of, you know, our software today powers. Um, so when we started, you know, we were kind of powering like a lot of, um, COVID testing initially. Mm -hmm. um, but the software itself is kind of trying to bring healthcare outside of clinical settings. Um, and so for COVID, that was like especially relevant. Um, and more and more, we, you know, that's, I think we, we're seeing that it's going to be relevant for a lot of other infectious diseases. Um, and a lot of other things that could just be done outside of like a traditional clinical setting. Um, so, you know, for primary.health, we, we have about 200 employees today. Uh, we're based in San Francisco. Um, yeah, let's see. It's been up. To, we haven't really raised any money, so I think that's caused some interesting. Um, it's led some like interesting innovations in our organization uh, because of the way we've had to scale kind of profitably um, mm. since the very beginning. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, you know, wh wh where do you want me to take it from there? <laughs> well, first, congrats, man. That's incredible. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that type of growth yeah. without taking in funding is, is super admirable. Um, what about um, you know the healthcare space, right? So you, you it sounds like this was something that you and you've got co-founders as well. Yep. Yeah. I have, I have um, one co-founder um, who uh, I work with basically every single day. Did you meet uh, this co-founder at Airbnb or a previous? Uh, no, we actually company? met starting this company. Um, uh, initially, when we started the company, it was a lot of like, it was a lot of like working with governments kind of on a volunteer basis. Okay. Um, and so that's how we met initially. Um, it was just like a lot of, you know, people trying to put their heads together to try to build something. Um, and then that eventually spun out, spun out to this. And so, you know, kind of comp comparing this to Colby's story, you know, coming from, you know, an industry that he kind of grew up in and, and seems like was, was a, a part of something that he was really passionate about. Is this space something that you would say that you've kind of been passionate about? Is there ties to, you know, friends and family within the, the healthcare uh, industry that kind of wanted you to get involved in the space? I wouldn't say, I mean, my co-founder has like a much more expansive like healthcare background. He's, he's always worked in healthcare. Um, I obviously came from like a consumer tech background, right? Mm -hmm. I think the most interesting thing that we're doing is like being able to power these things at scale. Like we've, we have something like 8 million users, right? And we're still trying to grow that. Um, we've done like over, I think, 15 million uh, kind of overall services. So that's the part that I'm really excited about to just be able to see like some of the stuff that we can do is just so much better i think than what has traditionally existed um like being able to do uh testing for stis for instance without having to go into a clinic um mm -hmm. and eventually just making that available kind of in all college dorms as just something that you can just like pick up and um get tested for like that's that's really cool and i think mm -hmm. um you know taking that idea to like diabetes screenings uh potentially cancer screenings um, but you know, a lot of infectious diseases, um, and then powering like these huge programs off of it. It's, it's, yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about, but awesome. I would say I have a, I, I didn't start with a background in it. Right. So it's not mm -hmm. something that I like the, the company kind of spun out from like a lot of work that we were doing already. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that growth, that type of growth, right. Um, when you started the business, did you have a an idea in your mind of how big of some, uh, of a, an operation that no. you wanted to grow or did you just go off demand and you're just like, let's just keep going. Like, yeah, it just kept growing. I mean, I think we could have grown a lot more than, you know, <laughs> if we had been more intentional with it. Um, but the, um, yeah, I mean, it, it kept growing. Um, all of our hires had to be kind of, you know, in, in some sense, like we, we had to stay profitable. Right. Um, so I think if we maybe took on a, a lot more funding, we maybe could have grown like a lot faster. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like there's a discipline that, that your organization kind of built um, under those constraints that I, I'm pretty proud of today. So if mm -hmm. you even just like 
I mean, I run like our product side and our software side. Um, and within those orgs, like the amount we've been able to accomplish, or I think it's more like the, the way we've innovated, right? Like the way we've built our tech stack is very different than what I've been used to at places like Airbnb, where there was just like, we can hire, at Airbnb, we can hire as much as we wanted. And like mm -hmm. whatever project that was worth staffing, if it needed 10 engineers, that was no problem. If it needed 20 mm -hmm. engineers, that was no problem. And all we had to do was prove that like this is something that can eventually deliver value down the line. Um, and so like the way things were built was just, um, it was, I would say a lot more, um, it was built in a way that it was kind of built for this, this world where like you can hire in more engineers. And so you can put more things on the engineering team to build. What we tried to do is created like, you know, even in our engineering work, we've created this, we've created this platform in a way where like, the, you know, our core engineering team, let's say is like 15 people. And I'm going way off on a tangent here. I just, I think, <laughs> Sorry. so. So we do stop me at any time. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's... Our core engineering team is like 15, 20 people, but the amount of people that have like contributed code to our product in some way is probably in like the seventies. Um, and so it's just like very distributed in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people that can like contribute to areas um, all across our organization, like all across our product. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I can go into more, but I, I don't want to take us off on a complete tangent here. So I'm, I'm more like uh, interested in, you know, so this is your first time doing this. Uh, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you know, get any uh, assistance from, you know, any VCs, which oftentimes will put folks on like an advisory board and kind of help you, you know, with, with mentorship and like, Hey, this is what we've seen for other companies scaling at this clip. Like, what did you do to kind of verify like, okay, it is okay. Like, you know, we're looking at the, the P and L each quarter and it's like, we, we can kind of take this next wave of hiring because you know we've we've gotten validation from a cfo or something so like how are you kind of like keeping yourself in check or maybe your co-founder has started something in the past but what what, what how did you align with like mentorship and advisors to kind of give you that sense of like oh, okay this is this is we're doing this in a in a pretty sustainable way yeah i mean a lot of the work that we do our, our contracts are predictable like we you know we we do you know we have a contract that has some amount of funds through some date and so it's not, I don't think it's terribly difficult, right? Like we just have to understand where those are and that we hire against that. So overall, like that's kind of, you know, our, 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 our pricing is very similar to like a standard um, SaaS company. So we have like kind of a monthly platform fee plus like variable per usage fees. Um, and typically like the, the, what we like the monthly platform fee kind of that predictable amount of revenue um that is the cost of running business for us and all the variable is kind of in, in some sense profit so mm -hmm. so we try to hire up to that wherever that you know we that's kind of our bar for where we hire to okay but it doesn't obviously doesn't play out that cleanly but at a, at a high level that's how we think about it and i've got some other questions but i, I want to jump back over to colby for a second here so i'm gonna ask you the same question Ooh. colby so you know it seems like you know this has been about three years for you now, three or four, three to four years now, uh, with rise. And you said right around nine, nine ish, nine ish in head count was, is your mm. growth strategy to, um, kind of like, let's go lean and let's, you know, really, you know, get a couple of things in place before we take this to the next level. Or did you want to, you know, tell me a little bit more about how your strategy with your growth plan. Cause it sounds like it's, it's a little bit different here than what we're seeing from primary.health. Yeah. Yeah. Our growth plan was, of different so we have to remain really lean because our we're not just like a pure software play so we have hardware we have a drone that we've developed that you know in the in that vein like raising like vc capital is pretty difficult uh, if you mm -hmm. have anything that has a touch with hardware so we had to ensure that, that how we were moving was very lean we we're ensuring that we got the right customers in place at the right times um, so we can, you know, we can show that we are making uh, progress, even though like we are very like R&D like driven in the business. So when you have that, it takes to release a new, like to release an R&D product, it takes around like three to four years to do um, before it ever, actually ever goes into market. So, um, and that's, and that's kind of the clip that we were on. So we, we scaled pretty, you know, we tried to scale um, and hire correctly. Um, and hire to have the most effective people on board the team that can actually 
innovate around something that's, I mean, the, the way that we do our, let's say our navigation stack, right? So again, there's, our, our drone is, is pretty unique. Um, our system is pretty unique. Um, not really like particularly any, really any other drones that are on the market. Um, and it uses like a 3D LiDAR for navigation inside of, you know, um, you know, enclosed environments. Um, and so it's, you know, I went with the approach to use that, so that, that, that sensor. So we'd have the ability to have a system that's completely enclosed that doesn't require any extra infrastructure in, like installations into our customers' facilities. Um, that way kind of trying to drive down some of the, the cost or barrier to entry. Um, but when you do something like that, there's, there's not, there's a lot of code that's out there for, um, self-driving cars. Let's say for that, for example, so navigating like kind of like a two dimensional, three dimensional space, but you're, you're really moving in two directions. Um, where in our case where you're, we're, we're moving in like we're in three different axes. So that makes it, that software didn't exist. So we had to develop and build that, which took time and resources. Um, which as you know, again, raising capital for a company that has a robotics component is, um, it, it can be slim, but you, you have to do it unless one of us is you know, like a, had a previous exit or, you know, a, a millionaire, um, which fortunately none of us were that. So, um, we had to be very, very effective with how we, we tried to scale. And so now that we're, um, we've closed this round, we're actually scaling out and, and growing the team a little bit more, but we're backstopping to, to, to Chris point, Chris's point is backstopping that based on the customer growth and the, um, and the revenue generation that we're, that we're receiving from our customers. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the pandemic put a, a little bit of a, a speed bump in your growth? Uh, did it help one way or the other? Did it, uh, you know, cause you started right before. Yeah. That right? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, as horrible as the pandemic was, and it was, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to take it lightly, it was really bad. But for us, it actually, it, it kind of helped because it, it took those eyes off of us, like in terms of like, like VC or anything like that. And like, and we couldn't actually really travel to our customers. So it kind of forced us to be more like product focused and tech, like technology focused and not like throwing in like a bunch of distractions, but like going out to a customer's facility to, you know, demo when we don't have a product that's ready. Right. So like, it, in a sense, it, it helped us um, because we did have some some inv great investors that like really kind of helped see us through it. Um, but you know, overall, again, I'm not going to understate <laughs> the pandemic was a horrible thing that that happened to many many people. But um, that time that it did take us, I mean, I think I got to be honest, I think it it, it kind of did help to even like save our company in in that you know in that sense, not making us move too quickly. Mm. I'm always like you're. Oh. Go ahead. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. Mike? No, no, go on. I was just going to say, like, you know, as far as, like, a entrepreneurial or startup experience prior to this, um, did, did you or your co-founder have, have anything, or were you just kind of jumping in, <laughs> jumping in in the dark here? Man, uh, no. So like, I mean, kind of. So like, while I was in like in college, like we, you know, ASU had a program called like Venture Devils that I was a part of and just kind of kind of getting a clip of like, what's the beat for like startup? Because they make talent number one in innovation a lot. <laughs> You've never seen those commercials. Um, but, you know, I, I went into the program. And I actually had the you know opportunity to sit in and, and work as, as an operator. I was like kind of like a COO for a, a small company um, that was that was starting. But I eventually left. I kind of like, Helped grow, excuse me, grow my um, uh, grow my passion for entrepreneurship and um, and and building something. But I mean, really, kind of going into it, no, <laughs> there's a mm -hmm. lot of mistakes that I made. And as a person, I made a lot of mistakes. But um, there's a lot of things that I learned from those mistakes. And now, like whenever I you know either exit rise or whatever it would be, I'm like, and I start a new like new venture. I'm like, there's a there's a lot of pitfalls that I know to avoid mm -hmm. now because I, I had to experience it. That actually leads me to the question I was going to ask you, and this is going to be for both of you, but since Colby, you're already talking, you mentioned it, like knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Oh man. Um, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> so, 
just a, just a lot of things. There's, I mean, around like, you know, the research in the industry is great, but I'm like, I would make sure I'm much more careful without who I, you know, allow um, as advisors just to make mm-hmm. sure like kind of really, really vet them um, because there's, there's a lot of people out there that um, can see you want to build something great and they just really want to attach on. So you got to be really, really cautious with that. Um, you know, really just like, and like now that I have a network, it's a little different, but like really tapping on the network that I have built and I've created. Um, and if not my own network, tapping on other people's networks, mm. getting involved in different startup communities, getting involved in different things and learning as much as possible. Um, uh, just, and you know, just prepare myself for <laughs> weekends, overnights mm-hmm. and weekends, a lot of them, because you're going to do it a lot. Um, and you're going to hate life for a while, but, um, it's just kind of the, the name of the game, but there's a, I mean, I, I don't want to go on a huge, like tangible list because there's a, there's quite a bit, but, um, I'll definitely say, just be very, very, you know, careful who you kind of let in your circle around your circle and make sure that you're, you're listening to people that have done it before read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris, I'm curious, uh, same question, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Yeah, this isn't. I was thinking about it as Coley was answering. This isn't something I think about too much, honestly. Like, I think, you know, like I said, it's more about trade-offs, right? I think if we raised, you know, obviously, if we raised money earlier, we had hired more aggressively in the earlier days, we might be in a better, we might be in a different place today. Whether it's better or worse, it's hard hard (laughs) to tell. Um, That's the thing that I I, I guess I try to, that's something I think through, right? Like, that's something I, I, um, I, like, play back to try to figure out, like, is, you know, what the trade-offs there are, but I, I wouldn't necessarily think that it's something like, it's not so much a regret as, as much as it's like helping me, you know, it helps us think through like what we should do in the future. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. that's I, I agree with that. I mean, I think just whenever I think back on things, right. It's always about like at the time with all the information I had at the time, I made the best decision I could like that. I'm not going right. to regret a decision. And that's I really made. the best, right. that's most you can ask for. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But yeah, now that I have more information and I look back, how do I apply this to like moving forward? I think is what you're sort of saying is like, so that next time on how do I use what's happened and my new information for new things that are coming to make right. difference. Cool. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I guess in mm-hmm. that sense, yeah, th- I think that's something I think about a lot. It's like, if we, if we, if we raise more, we're able to build kind of more in, um, intentionally without having to have everything that we did um, drive revenue. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder where we'd be after two years of being able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your, your big tech experience, Chris, um, you know, what, what from your, your, your past life with Airbnb and Facebook, would you say were some of the most valuable things that carried over into, you know, uh, an entrepreneur? Uh, and, you know, you, one of the things you, you brought to, to my attention when we were just kind of doing our intro call was, you know, how like architectural decisions impact your your team's growth and choosing everything from frameworks, languages, and and the architecture approach were those things that that you would say like really impacted how you were like this is how I'm going to scale this team in 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 a startup environment or I'm just using that as an example but like what were some of those things that you say would you would say really helped you and then maybe things that were like I kind of want to unlearn. Mm, interesting. I actually think I unlearned a lot of the architectural stuff that we were doing, um, uh, you know, at bigger tech firms, they just, they can move at a different, uh, pace. Um, Mm -hmm. they don't need junior engineers leading full blown projects. And in that world, like they can just do things slightly differently in terms of how they build stuff where like they can always assume that for instance, everything that's being worked on, will have at least two people working on it, right? At least two people working on it. Um, that's not an assumption that we make here. Most things, mm-hmm. most features, most projects have exa- like exactly one engineer. And so like, we kind of have to build a stack that's like tolerant of that. Um, it can handle these like single points of failures. Um, I'd say, so actually, I would actually say the opposite. Like most of, most of the patterns that we're building off of here was stuff that I was doing in like, when I was like 17, building apps in college or I guess high school at that time, it was all done in Rails. Um, we still use that and a lot of the patterns that we, we try to stick to, um, I think, create an environment where like junior engineers have a space to learn, fa- uh, you know, build and then fail um, in the sense of like, you know, they ship something and it breaks, mm-hmm. but it doesn't break everything. It just breaks their feature. And that gives them a place to like, okay, now they can then fix that, go through the process of like releasing stuff that breaks, support it, um, see how that feature evolves and changes over time. And that just like is is so accelerating for like 
ramping somebody up to software engineering. Cause I think at bigger tech firms, like you don't really get to experience that until like two years in hmm. that full like life cycle. And we can get people through that life cycle uh, in like the, their first three months. Wow. Uh, I think that's super important. Um, yeah. So, and then in terms of like what I've learned, I actually think that um, if like these bigger tech firms, I mean, Facebook and, and Airbnb, I actually think like, you know, I, I know a lot of people leave saying that they're not, you know, it's hard to be entrepreneurial in those environments. Um, I think it's really like how much you're willing to put into it. Um, that was like a shift in my mindset. I would say maybe two years into my time at Airbnb was when I realized that like there actually was quite a bit of space to be like creative and, and fight for what you believed in there. Um, and the company had like, you know, a war chest of funds, right? So they, they were like, you know, just with the money that they had in the bank, they were probably a bigger VC firm to be able to incubate like internal projects. Mm -hmm. um, and they were much more generous about like giving that, if you think about like that as like a fundraising environment being kind of the overall like company leadership as the fundraising environment, you know, they were much more generous in terms of like giving out funds, like allowing for hiring. So if you were able to like find something you believed in that actually was bringing value to the company, um, you had basically all the processes were the same, right? Like you had to figure out an MVP, you had to convince people that this was valuable, you had to hire for it. Um, you had to grow the team, you had to figure out how to scale the team, um, lead the product, you know, lead this specific feature through like its life cycle and kind of grow it and scale it. So I, I think I learned a lot through that process. Yeah. Um, right. With all the safety of doing it within the, right. I mean, I, it sounds exactly. like, it, right. I mean, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. So probably you would say like the upside isn't as good, but also the downside is way better, right? Like right. there's not really, you don't, you don't really, you know, there's not really a way of failing the same way that you could, you know, out, out in the world on your own. So, um, I think did you start primary health while you were still an employee at Airbnb or did you just pull the, pull the cord and just say, I'm going into this full fledged? Or you'd rather not answer. I, I just, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so I mean, I, 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 there was a transition. Yeah. How much time were you burning on Airbnb's time <laughs> building this company? No, sure. I would say maybe, no, we, we pulled the cord pretty quick. Um, okay. uh, pretty quick. Um, so I, the only thing that I had to wait for was like a visa mm. switch. Mm. And, and then after that, you know, so I, I basically, that takes, that takes like, three mm -hmm. months. um, mm -hmm. yeah. And mm. so that was it. Kobe, what about you? You know, I started, I'm a, I run a services business, right? So it's a little bit different. So I, I started as an independent consultant, built up a client base, you know, had enough of a, you know, of a revenue coming through to where I could justify hiring somebody. Um, what, what did you, you know, what was your kind of strategy going into this? Would you just use your, your savings? Um, did you do some consulting while you're still trying to kind of build this thing out? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. So when I, uh, first, uh, answer student loans, <laughs> I, um, I increased some of my burden when I was like, while I was in university and kind of building this, building the platform and building the product, I actually you know, we, we were testing out like different, let's say what different drones that we could use. Will these work? And you know, very quickly found out that like, Hey, anything DJI, we can't really use because, you know, we want to work with, we work for the U S military. So, mm -hmm. um, so, but I, yeah, to, to really finance it myself, I like, I did like kind of extend some of my student, my own student loan burden to like you know, buy some of these things at the time. Like I think a Matrice 210 was like $10,000. It was like, mm -hmm. it was it's pretty extensive, but like, luckily I was lucky enough to have, you know, while I was in university, I got to, and then I was able to apply the skills that I learned from, you know, my computer science classes and I got into like infrastructure positions. So like, you know, for example, I worked at a company called Stratus that was like, kind of like an offshoot of American Express, um, for as far as that. So like, and I, and, you know, I even went to Charles Schwab. So they actually even, they paid me pretty well for a 20 year old, I'll be honest. <laughs> Um, probably more than I should have gotten. Um, uh, no, I think it was just about right. But I, I took <laughs> that money <laughs> and I, I, I took that and I, my savings and like uh, threw that into the company. Um, I felt my, you know, to self-finance in the beginning until, you know, ultimately like, yeah, I was, I was in Google as well. Um, but only, the only caveat to it, like I didn't spend like a, like a long amount of time there. Like I, as soon as I like, you know, kind of got in, I was getting really like spun up. Like I got my first of investor funds. So mm -hmm. it's like, um, and for me being, uh, I'm not necessarily super risk averse. I am now. Um, 
I'm a little bit more conscious of the the risks that I'm taking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just saw him like, Hey, I need to, in order for this to become something I need to, to jump full steam. So I, I, I ripped it pretty quickly to, to build rise, mm-hmm. um, their funding. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. We were, I was in San Francisco. I was talking about moving my team up because they were in Arizona and I looked at San Francisco and like, just kind of with how much we raised, it was, I was like, yeah, let's take a stint in Arizona for a little bit. Who wasn't worth it? So. I'm so curious. Go on. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to no, say, I was it. curious about the, um, like, one of the things that I know I've worked with a number of founders and startups at different stages and, and outsourcing or going to the open source community, those types of things, like, frequently come up. And I'm curious if either of you yeah. looked at, like, I think, like, Colby, I could see like maybe tapping into the open source community for like, cause there's a bunch of like drone hobbyists and maybe they could whatever or whatever. But I'm just curious if either one of you sort of looked at outsourcing or the open source community and sort of the decisions that went into that or not, or, you know, avoiding it for whatever reason. In those early stages. For yeah. Sure, in those right? early stages. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we I, I, that's not really something, I mean, right off the bat, just the way software is built these days, we get so much value from like everything in the open source, right? Like we run on Linux servers, we build Rails, we have, we use React for front, like it, it, it it's in, like, I think this is some somewhat underappreciated, the amount of value that like open source is created in the world. And um, so other than sponsoring open source projects that we believe in, um we don't really yeah we don't it's not it's not part of our hiring strategy right yeah and i'll i'll i'll, I'll pop in here from my perspective because the for me it's a, it's a little different so we did use there is a good amount of like open sourcing that we we use but again since we work with the the u.s military we have to be careful about what we use they don't really like a lot of open source um products they want things to kind of be like succinct and like unique to the company that's like developing out the platform so there are definitely some Things that we're that we kick touch, so we use like you know I think we use like Ardu Pilot for our for our drone, so um, for our, our flight control software. And then we we kind of build like a layer on top of that, so that's kind of like you know uniquely ours, and including like buttons and simulations, and like you know, with our let's say our end user platform, there's things that we can use that are open source, but we just have to be very careful what touches what. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through a pretty rigorous audit process with uh, this with our new, newest investment. That came in because you know they they're part of their book their business is you know the the DOD so then to make sure that we we had to pass a CFIS study we had to make sure that we didn't have really any Chinese compute components we had to make sure that that we went through and did an audit of all of our the packages that were installed on the system itself just to ensure that um, none of it was like you know just kind of opening readily available to like the 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 market or mm-hmm. the community. Interesting. I've got some questions that that actually probably going to bake right into the five second scramble so i i might even just just pitch them at that point um and i know we're kind of coming up on our on our time uh so do want to make make um this segue into the the five five second scramble um i guess we'll just kind of like before we do that you know what is the you know i'll just ask you know uh, both of you chris like what is the what is the future uh at primary.health kind of look like in the next you know three years from now yeah, I, so I mean, the biggest uh, there's 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 certain segments that we focus on a lot. We we do a lot of things, but I'd say like the most exciting thing right now is like being able to, um, you know, I saw the statistic that I think there was something like 500 million uh, doctors' office visits last year in the United States. Wow! But there was something like 13 billion um, pharmacy visits, and mm-hmm. if just like if if that's a place where like we can enable more. Uh, services to be delivered, like more treatments, um, more testing, then that just makes it so much more accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people are there already. So in a big way, like that's where our software is kind of scaling the fastest here. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we try to bring together is just the complexity of healthcare, like mm-hmm. different states, uh, different pharmacies, different pharmacies have different agreements with different providers. Um, and all of these can be kind of wrapped up um, and and done pretty cleanly through like the software that we built. So like all the telehealth, all the ordering, um, all the e-prescription, all of this stuff like our software today can do. Um, so at this point, it's a matter of like make building it in a way that can make it um, more more useful in like a pharmacy setting. 
That's awesome. I, I would say firsthand, somebody who's spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals this past year with, you know, my wife and I just had a, a, a child last week and it is a, uh, it is a lot. And so anything that can help to streamline this, this industry, I mean, kudos to you. Keep, keep, keep it up, man. Um, Colby, same with you. I mean, you're in a re- pretty regulated industry yourself. Um, tell, tell us how, you know, rise kind of evolves over the next few years here. Yeah, I, I think you, you're definitely right on the regulated front. Um, so I think how Rise evolves is that we become a lot more like closely connected with our regulatory bodies and the original like aircraft manufacturers. There are some of the coolest things that like I have in a pipeline and a vision for what I have for the product is actually working directly with an Airbus, a Boeing, and an Embraer, um, just so we can you know kind of do some joint development operations so we can make the product much more usable for our customer base. Um, and then taking those same or those same huge players um, and actually, you know, uh, giving the drones and our artificial intelligence, like the computer vision models that identify defects. And just as a clarification to you, like we, we look for like defects, like lightning strikes, hell strikes, bird strikes on the, on the skin of an airframe um, and report it back down to our end user on the ground. It's um, making sure that those algorithms are, you know, actually approved. And that our system and our, our AIS can actually do that work so we can streamline this, you know, this industry. Because if you guys haven't seen that, there's a statistic like we're losing about, you know, on average per year, you know, 12,000 um, qualified like A&Ps or what they call it, airframe and power plants mechanics. Um, and those are the people that are going from retirement or just kind of like switching industries because they realized through COVID how not safe the industry kind of was. Um, and it's only being replaced by about 75, excuse me, about 5,000, um, new interns from like, um, from technical, uh, schools and, and things like that. So there's a huge deficit that we're really trying to augment the, the, the current workforce that we have in a, in a meaningful, um, and a cost effective, um, and a time savings, uh, type of way for the, for the space. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, wishing you both best of luck in, uh, in continuing on this journey, and um, we'll, we'll certainly be tracking it as well. Uh, but let's, let's uh, go ahead and pivot to this next segment uh, called the Five Second Scramble. So again, I'll, I'll be asking you both a series of questions. Do your best to give me your response within five seconds, uh, a little bit of a rapid fire Q&A style, some business, some personal. Colby, I'm going to start with you. Um, Jeez. Explain. <laughs> um, <laughs> Explain your product to me as if I were a five-year-old. We keep aircraft in the sky by using CV, finding damages like birds, strikes, and lightning strikes, and making sure they're fixed before you ever get on the plane. Good stuff. Who are your users? Our users are MPs, like mechanics, people that um, look for these damages on a regular basis. What type of engineer would thrive at Rise? Uh, robotics, a nerdy one, someone who likes anime. What kind of nerds here? <laughs> um, big ones, Fire Force, just going to plug that here. Um, and, you know, emotionally intelligent and guys and girls. What's your favorite aspect of the culture at Rise? Um, everyone, it, it feels like a team. Like, it feels like we're, we're not just like building something to build it. Like we're wrapped around a culture or like, Hey, we're going to make, this is fucking cool. Excuse me. My language. Like, this is <laughs> <You're> really <fine. laughs> cool. And we want to make this happen. So the culture is all like excitement, but at the same time, it's around like growth and like, like a unit, like we're working in this together. As a founder and leader with startup, you know, what would you say is the, the number one thing that keeps you up at night? Oh God. Um, the only one, <laughs> um, speed of customer adoption, I guess, um, and regulatory adoption speed as well. What is the fa- your favorite country that you've ever traveled to? Well, I just came back from Spain. So that's pretty high on my list right now. Sweet. Spain's awesome. Um, nice. favorite dessert. Um, red velvet. Favorite app on your phone? Uh, my Rocket Money app, so I can <laughs> make sure not to too much. <laughs> um, favorite superhero? Iron Man, for sure. Cool. Nice. Something about a billion there, paid for philanthropist. That just like sounds awesome. It's funny because Batman nice. is the, the is a part. common one Batman's, too. So that's a common answer one. there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Chris. Uh, let's jump over to you, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So, um, 
what problems are, are you solving at primary.health? Am I solving personally? Um, <laughs> I no, the, what, the, the company at large. Okay. Um, well, we try to bring healthcare outside of a traditional clinical setting. Who are your users? Today, a lot of governments, um, a lot of schools, uh, ph some pharmacies, um, community-based organizations. Um, yeah. That's, what type of en engineers thrive at, at primary.health? I think, you know, engineers that are willing to take on ownership of what they're building. What's a trait that you value in your co-founder? How passionate he is about the space. Awesome. What's your favorite aspect of the culture there at primary.health? Um, the, the culture here, the trust that we put into our employees and our, our, our people. Favorite city in the U.S. that you've traveled to? that I've traveled to. So I live in San Francisco, but I tech, I'm not from there and I still love it there. Like I, I, despite what everybody else has <laughs> done, I guess, like, you know, but I, I still love it there. I still live there. Um, and technically I guess I'm still, you know, I don't know if it counts. I, I grew up in Vancouver and I moved to SF. So I, I traveled there. Right. <laughs> okay. So SF, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. I um, think SF just needs some more, you know, victory point. They haven't done so well the past two years. So somebody's got a problem. Be our up. next episode. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about how to we'll save San Francisco. Please tell me. I want how much time do we have? Um, sun, sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunset. So. Do you like your eggs fried or scrambled? Scrambled. Favorite Disney character? Oh my God, that's okay. I guess everything is a Disney character now, right? What is, right. What is not a Disney character? It's not yeah. <laughs> Disney. Um, <laughs> Lion King, the Simba. Simba, that, that's nice. Disney. That's yeah. strong. That's yeah. strong answer. <laughs> um, cool. That's Classic it, guys. Disney. We're 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 wrapping on that note. Um, thank you for spending time with us and and shedding light on your journey and and sharing that with our listeners. I think it's a really helpful tip tidbits that came out of it and. Uh, appreciate you joining us on the pair program. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Thank you so much for having us on. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks guys. Yep. Thanks. Cool.